Good morning. Uh, my name is, is Aaron, and um, uh, we are uh, just beginning our journey as Emmanuel Anglican Church. This is our eighth Sunday worshiping here uh, at Uplift High School, and we're really excited about um, what the Lord has done in our midst and also what, what, uh, what's ahead. Um, I encourage you to come back next week. We'll be, um, we'll be in the first week of Advent at that time. Our, um, our colors will change um, to, to purple, and we'll begin to anticipate um, Emmanuel Sunday. We'll begin to anticipate the coming of Jesus. Um, uh, I want to recap the, the series that we've done since we launched on October 6th. We've been doing a series, Rediscovering the Power of Jesus, and we've been doing that by looking at the Gospel of Mark. And um, one of the things that we've seen as we've kind of marched through the first six chapters of Mark is that Jesus' power is, number one, it's, it's unpredictable. Um, we interact with predictable forms of power all the time, like electricity. If you can predict power, you can control it, and you can make it work for you. And Jesus' power is, is uh, somewhat untamed. Um, and hard to know what it's going to do next. But the other thing we've seen is that Jesus' power is used for human flourishing. It, it's used to build people up. It's used to, to defeat what is wrong and build up what, what is right, to give life um, in such a way that we can't give life to ourselves. And so there's this unpredictable, kind of scary part of Jesus' power where uh, uh, things are happening all over the place around him. Um, it gets very, very messy around him. And yet he's able to, to enter that mess and bring renewal and bring life. Um, we've, seen, uh, we've seen him uh, offer forgiveness to a paralytic man that was raised through the roof. And um, instead of um, healing, his, healing his ailment first, he actually gives him forgiveness of sins, which he didn't even know he needed to ask for. We find that Jesus does that for us as well. We've also seen that Jesus is kind of a magnet for our mess that he draws out, brings out things that we'd rather hide, and he does that so that he can heal it, so that he can, uh, he can complete us. We've also seen that Jesus calls us to, to be with him without an agenda. Most of us want to have an agenda with Jesus. We want to uh, become his minion so that we can make him our minion and actually begin to harness some of his power to work for us, make our lives work better. Uh, but he actually calls us to be with him in the chaos, in the mess, without an agenda. And that's where he does his renewing work. So I want to wrap up this series with a famous story uh, that we, many of us, whether we're in the church or not, have, we've heard of this story. It's the feeding of the 5,000 men. And um, if we're going to respond to Jesus' power in the way that he invites us to, um, uh, we're going to have to see what he offers these people and how he offers it to them. So the first thing I want to do is, is, is make an observation from the text. My second point is going to be an observation about contemporary life that doesn't come from the text, but is nevertheless, it's kind of the elephant in the room. We've got to talk about it if we're going to, if we're going to absorb the meaning of this text. And the third point I've got today is the point of the whole series. The point of the sermon, the point of the series what I want you to, to, to leave knowing. First point. Number one, uh, hunger is the pain of being alive. Hunger is the pain of being alive. Hunger is, is human. If you're a human, you experience hunger of various kinds. Um, if, if you don't have any more hunger, uh, you're probably not alive anymore. 
<laughs> if you're not hungry for anything. To be hungry is to be human, and it's painful. Um, uh, um, we see this in the text, actually. We know this in our life, but we see this in the text. There were people that were sent out by Jesus to do ministry. They were supposed to, um, they were supposed to preach. They were supposed to cast out demons. They were supposed to heal people who were sick. And at the beginning of our text here, all of these people come back to Jesus and say, we've done the work. We've done your work. And I want to remind you that when Jesus sent them out, he said, don't take any bread with you. Um, Now, let me just tell you from experience that um, if you're going to be preaching like they were supposed to be preaching, at the end of a sermon, I am super hungry. I am more hungry at the end of a sermon than I am at any point of the week. I'm just ravenous because it takes so much energy. Um, Not only were they preaching, they were also casting out demons. Have you ever interacted with someone who who has uh, some kind of evil uh, about them that they're actually opening up, up, up to you? It's very disturbing. It's very draining. Um, and um, it's likely to make you more hungry than you were before. Um, they were helping people who were sick. Maybe some of you are in the medical profession. You know how draining this can be when you're serving someone who has bodily ailments and they're asking for you for the gift of healing. It's likely to be very draining to increase your hunger. And um, so, so uh, what is it that makes you hungry? What is it makes you that crave food more than anything? craves solitude more than anything? What is it that makes you crave comfort more than anything? What drains you? This is something that we all share. And Jesus knows this. He responds when they come to him and say, Jesus, we've done all this ministry and we didn't pack any bread, by the way. His response to them is, come away by yourselves and rest a while. Come away by yourselves. Come rest. You need to be alone. You need solitude. Um, You need to be refreshed. And... um, um, he'll, he'll take them even deeper into their hunger. Verse 33, um, they're, they're, um, they're going away by a desolate place. They're going off in a boat. Um, and then people recognize them and begin to run in the direction of the boat. They don't want to miss out on Jesus. And so there's a whole crowd of people that Jesus has not invited to the retreat. And they're running like crazy to meet him wherever he's going. Now let me ask you this. What could possibly... Be, be motivating 5,000 men, and, and potentially, it doesn't say in Mark whether or not their wives were with them, or their children were with them, but it could be potentially up to 12,000 people running so fast that they're actually beating Jesus to his destination. These people are hungry for something. Now, we can guess maybe they're hungry for political revolution because most of them lived in a, in a, in a state of powerlessness, and they wanted to be politically free. They wanted, to be, they wanted to be out from under the thumb of the Romans. Maybe it was that they were all sick. Maybe they wanted to, to, to get in on the healing action. Um, but they were hungry for something. So the disciples, they've got this very surface level hunger. They've been ministering. They've been working. They need to be alone. They need food. These people running after Jesus, they probably got something a little bit deeper. They're running to get Freedom, they're running to get meaning, they're running to get healing. So there's hunger going on in this text, and hunger is the pain of being alive. What do you want so bad that you would be willing to run as hard as these 5,000 men ran in the direction of Jesus? Not saying that you're looking to Jesus to get whatever you're hungry for, but what, what have you hustled for in your life? What have you stood in line to get? 
What do you think about when there's nothing else to think about? What are you hungry for? What's driving you? It's natural to, to our human existence. Hunger is the pain of being alive. We hunger for dignity. We hunger for connection. We hunger for food. We hunger for comfort. We hunger for relationships. We hunger for significance. We hunger for approval. We hunger to be part of a family. We hunger for freedom from a family. Hunger and drive is, is part of the human existence. It's painful, and it's, it's um, something that we all experience. Okay, point, that's point number one. Point number two is just an observation that, that has come from my own journey with, with Jesus in the last year, in the last few weeks, and that's this. Filler is not a feast. Okay? Filler is not a feast. So we're all hungry, and most of us feel a draw and a temptation to satisfy our deep hungers with surface-level filler. What am I talking about? Let's say you're hungry for Thanksgiving dinner, and you've worked up an appetite, and you're just, you, you, are, you are so hungry for this amazing meal um, that you're not willing to wait for the meal, and so you just go for the saltines, and you smear some Lando Lakes on those saltines and just go for it. Um, how do you feel after, after that bad decision? Um, it's not a feast. You didn't feast. You got calories, and maybe you're not hungry anymore, but you didn't feast. It's not satisfying. And filler, so filler uh, is all around us. This is, this is the air that we breathe. Filler is um, an attempt to address our deep hunger using surface-level appetites, using surface-level things that, that don't uh, satisfy us on a deep level. Um, it's good things of creation uh, that cannot satisfy our deepest hungers. So if we have appetites, let's say we have an appetite simply for, um, for meaning and connection. We want to be connected to other people. We want to be known and loved. Uh, some of us are tempted to, to satisfy that hunger through buying stuff. Shopping. You feel more connected when, when you're shopping, when you're connected. Other, o- others of us are tempted to, to satisfy that, that hunger for connection through sex or through pornography, which I'll, I'll say is not a good thing of creation. It's uh, something that is taking a good thing of creation and twisting it um, to satisfy a surface-level desire. Um, but at the end of shopping or the end of using porn, you don't feel more satisfied at the end of that do you? You don't feel more connected, even though in, in some ways it, 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 it uh, scratches an itch for connection. It does not deeply satisfy your desire for connection. Or maybe, you're, maybe, maybe you or I feel a desire for security. We want to feel secure. We want to have control over the chaotic events of life. Maybe one of the ways we get control is just making as much money as possible. Just checking, going on E-Trade and just checking, how are my stocks doing today? How are, how's my portfolio doing today? Do I have enough for retirement? Are those numbers rising? And so we stay later at the office to earn more money. And, um, and we spend more time investing than we really need to. Um, because, man, money for a short while is kind of a filler. It's kind of a filler for a deep level desire for security. Uh, maybe we feel just a need for comfort. Um, our, we, we feel agitated. We feel stressed. And so Netflix is just right there. 
Netflix and, and, and Portillo's, you just combine those two things and it's like the comfort, you know, you just dive in um, and you just, you just let yourself go. And I have to say, like, I, I, I love a good movie on Netflix and I love Portillo's, but whenever I've looked at those things as something that would satisfy a, desire, a deep desire for comfort, a deep desire just to, to be whole, it's filler. It never quite is a feast. Because filler isn't a feast. It's not designed to be a feast. Um, I saw a great Onion uh, article, uh, Onion headline, Giant Burrito to Solve All of Area Man's Problems for Six Precious Minutes. <laughs> I've definitely been that area man before. See, what filler does is filler is, is, an, is an anesthesia to, to our hunger. It's a numbness. It provides a numbness over pain the pain of hunger. It, it numbs that pain. And, uh, it, it, and for a short while, for six precious minutes, or 120 precious minutes, um, our hunger is satisfied. This is the air that we breathe. Now this isn't in the text because this is not the air that, that uh, Jesus and his disciples breathed. But we live in a, a, in a time where just fillers everywhere. And advertisers look on us and go, how can I tap into deep level hungers in order for them to buy my products. Um, now, I'm not casting a, a, you know, a, a, a pall over all of, of, of advertising. I think there's redemptive ways of doing it. But there are so many products, goods, and services available to you and me that prey upon or, or tap into our deep hunger and give the promise, I'm going to satisfy it. Some of you have, may have seen some of the series Mad Men, which is it's a fascinating series because you get to see uh, Don Draper, who is truly in this, in this series a genius at doing that. He can, he can articulate what's going on in the hearts and minds of, of, of people uh, who are his contemporaries and go, how can I sell them something? How can I sell them meaning? How can I sell them connection? How can I, Don Draper, sell them relationship through this Kodak, you know, um, what do you call it, the carousel? And um, get, get wealthy as a result. Let me just ask you, the, uh, ask you a question. Um, Christmas is a time of, of unmitigated consumption um, where, where people really do look to the Christmas season and, and consumption within it as a way to satisfy one's hunger. Do people come away from Christmas being less satisfied or more satisfied? Is, is, there, is there more satisfaction as a result of Christmas consumption or less? One question to ask. And this is a question I'm asking of my own heart and my own soul as I, as I process with the Lord. Because I am so tempted to make filler a feast. But filler is just not a feast. Um, and we've got we've to be aware of that before we get to the second half uh, of this text. Third point. Are you ready? This is the point of the whole series. And... Um, and it's actually, you know, it's right there. So, so um, spoiler alert, Jesus is a feast for hungry people. Jesus is a feast for hungry people. Now, there's a tension in the text that is also potentially a question that you have. And the tension in the text is this. Can Jesus actually feed these people? There's this dialogue between, between he and his disciples. Um, Jesus is teaching them the word of God in order to, to, to fill their hungry hearts. And the disciples say, um, it's late, we're hungry, they're hungry, 
let them go, let them take care of themselves, let them, let them feed themselves. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat, which is, again, that unpredictable power. Jesus wants to, to move, to show God's power, to show God's love. He does so unpredictably. And his disciples say, what are we going to do? We're going to spend eight months' wages buying food so that all these people can eat. We don't have eight months' wages. We don't have eight months' wages' worth of food to feed all of these people. Nevertheless, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Can he actually feed these people? And I think, I've asked this question as I've studied this text. Maybe you're asking it too. Can Jesus actually satisfy humanity's desires? Or is that just religious talk? Can Jesus actually feed desires? Can he actually satisfy human desires? Or is that just um, pie-in-the-sky um, uh, is that just marketing, actually? Is that, is that just marketing? When Christians say that Jesus can satisfy the, a hungry heart, um, is that just religious marketing to get more adherence? It's a good question. The disciples are asking the question just in an inverse way. See, in the text, it's a, it's a, um, it's a supply problem. There's, there's not enough supply for, for the incredible demand. They're ready for, for Jesus to feed them, but there's not enough supply. For us, it's a demand problem. Because we, have so much, we don't have the demand. We don't have a hunger for Jesus because we have so much filler. And it's so interesting. And it's always changing and being reframed and repackaged. We have so much filler available to us that um, we may be asking the same question just from a different angle. Can Jesus really satisfy or is that just an empty religious promise? And Jesus says to the disciples, go look at what you have. They don't have enough. They've got, they've got five loaves, two fishes, not even enough to feed them on their retreat. Not even enough to feed them. How are they going to feed 5,000, potentially 10,000 people? And Jesus does something so interesting. We've got to see it because of where we're at. The disciples needed to see it. Jesus takes um, the provision from God, and he looks up into heaven, and he blesses the food. And then he breaks it, he tears it. And then through his disciples, he distributes it. And, and the men sit down in groups of 50s and 100s. And all of a sudden, what was potentially a, a gathering to, to, to make Jesus their military leader and, 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 and be sent away into battle, what is, what is a place of a gathering of great hunger is actually a, an amazing banquet, an amazing feast. All of a sudden, it goes from filled with tension, filled with hunger, to a to a, um, a banquet where Jesus is at the center feeding everybody and there's more than they can handle. And let me tell you something. After this happened, Jesus would do the same thing with his own body. He would, he would look up to the Father and say, uh, Father, you've, you've, you've given me, you've put me in the world for this task. Now make me enough to feed the multitude of people that are hungry and that are not easily satisfied, who in fact have the imago day within them and cannot be satisfied with creature comforts and cannot be satisfied with filler. In fact, Father, their, their hunger is so supernatural and so deep and so profound that nothing else can satisfy but a completely healed relationship between God and man. Nothing else can satisfy the deepest hungers of the human heart. And like the bread, Jesus' body was torn, and it was, um, 
uh, and, and it was given up to the Father, and it was given up for the people. And the Father took that broken body and resurrected it and multiplied it so that it could feed every human heart who's ever walked the face of the earth, available to all. And since that has happened, men and women, by the, by the tens, by the fifties, by the hundreds, by the thousands, by the millions, have, have, been, have been seated and have feasted upon this man and have been satisfied uh, beyond uh, any level of satisfaction that they've experienced up to that up to that point. The witness of the church is this, that if, you, that if you open up your trust and if you open up your pain and you open up your hunger to the person of Jesus, he will satisfy you and satisfy you and satisfy you more than you can handle. But that's a tough bargain for us because we've got so much filler. And the filler is on the front side of pain and Jesus' satisfaction is on the opposite side of pain. Here's the witness of the church. Here's the witness of the saints since Jesus' resurrection. The witness of the church is this, that if you come to Jesus with your human hungry pain and you sit with him with it and you trust him with it, that that pain will not simply be um, mitigated by Jesus. It will be a channel for him to draw near to you and to complete you and to love you and to be with you. Through his death and resurrection, he will satisfy you. Sometimes it feels like satisfaction. Sometimes it feels like just sheer pain. But it is always completing. It is always dignifying the Imago Dei within us and the deep human hungers that cannot be satisfied with filler. So, if you're not a Christian, not a religious person, not familiar with church, you've got to know that this satisfaction is on the other side of trust. Because you only let in uh, satisfaction when you, trust some, when you trust something. And Jesus is just saying, your hungers, I've got to be able to be trusted with those hungers. You've got to be able to open up your heart and your, and, and your, and your hungers to me. You've got to admit them to me. And then, and then you've got to look to my cross and resurrection and come and feast at this table, and I will satisfy you. It's on the other side of trust. For those of you who are walking with Jesus and the satisfaction is slow, know that the satisfaction is on the other side of pain. It is through the pain. It is with the pain. It is textured. And, and isn't that what a feast is? A feast is not simple. A feast is not immediate. A feast is, in, in many ways, drawn out and textured. That's where the satisfaction is delivered. Jesus satisfies the deepest appetites of the human heart. To be hungry is to be human. <laughs> Hunger is the pain of being alive. And filler is not a feast. You all know this. Filler is not a feast, even though it's readily available to us. When Jesus looks upon us, he doesn't look on us like Don Draper going, how can I benefit from their <coughs> hunger? He looks upon us and goes, how can, I, how can I give myself for their hunger so that they will be completely satisfied as sons and daughters of God? It's on the other, tri other side of trust. It's on the other side of pain. Jesus satisfies the hungry human hearts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this series. Thank you for the gospel of Mark. We pray that we would look upon you, Lord, our unpredictable, 
loving, renewing Lord. And we ask that we would open up our hungers to you as we head into Thanksgiving, as we head into Christmas, enjoying many good things from creation. We pray that all along the while our hearts would be open to you, would be be connecting with you, and would be satisfied by by Jesus in a way that uh, uh, up till now we haven't been before. We pray this for your glory, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.